The Fred Minnick Show is brought to you by The Beeline. Visit YourSippingPoint.com, by Michter's American Whiskies, and by Rackhouse Whiskey Club. Every whiskey tells a story. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Fred Minnick Show. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're at home, all cozied up with your family, eating some good grub, drinking some good bourbon, and about to listen to a podcast that is going to blow your mind, especially if you are a Fleetwood Mac fan. So buckle up, it's going to be a good listen. Now, The Fred Minnick Show is sponsored by The Beeline, a northern Kentucky bourbon experience, a mashup of five Kentucky bourbon Trailcraft Distillery, six unique bourbon bars, and five bourbon-focused restaurants across from Cincinnati and the edge of bourbon country. Learn more at findyoursippingpoint.com. Now, something we address, Mick and I address in this interview, is the state of where we are right now and the fact that we really can't go out and can't do things and we miss things like our restaurants. We are going to get out of this. And when we do, I want to meet with you in northern Kentucky. So go to findyoursippingpoint.com. Make sure you're signing up because when we get out of this, when we're able to, I'm going to have a meet and greet there. We're going to have some drinks. We're going to drink, eat some good grub. It's going to be awesome. Now, Mick Fleetwood owns a restaurant in Hawaii, and we talk a little bit about that. And I can't tell you how important and how awesome this interview was. On one hand, it was the it was it's an interview with an iconic uh, rock and roll Hall of Famer in Mick Fleetwood, and on the other hand, this was um, this was done uh, virtually. So this was done via via Zoom, and I never got that feeling that technology was like I wasn't in the room with him. So this was this is this is a moment where. It just feel I felt like I, w- I was very comfortable through the technology. You could tell Mick was very comfortable, but it really was just two people having a conversation, and it just proves to the point. It proves to the point that while we are quarantined or isolated, and we're not able to go out and do things, that we have the capabilities to stay in touch and 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 continue conversations and have a good sip of whiskey, and that's what. Mick and I did. Now, the this week's trivia question is geared around Fleetwood Mac more so than whiskey. That's going to come up after a word from our sponsors. Imagine this, an experience centered around five Kentucky Bourbon Trail craft tour distilleries in northern Kentucky, the gateway to Kentucky bourbon. Add five amazing bourbon-centric bars and five delicious bourbon-focused restaurants, cultivating the freshest takes and culinary delights, and you are on the beeline. Start your trip today at findyoursippingpoint.com. At Michter's Distillery, our passion is making the finest bourbon, rye, and American whiskey possible. When you only produce very small batch and single barrel whiskey as we do, each and every barrel has to be perfect. No detail is too small for our production team. From careful attention to the 18-month or more air-dried wood used in the construction of our barrels, to entering our distillate into the barrel at the costlier or lower barrel entry proof of 103 so that it's smoother, to heat cycling our barrel houses, to our signature filtration protocol, we spare no expense in pursuing our goal of making the greatest American whiskey. And no Michter's gets bottled until our master distiller Dan McKee and our master of maturation Andrea Wilson say it's just right. Michter's Fort Nelson Distillery in downtown Louisville, Kentucky is open for tours and tastings. Book your visit on our website and stop by the bar at Fort Nelson for a world-class cocktail. 
For more information, follow us on social media at Michter's Whiskey, go to Michter's.com, or visit your favorite bartender. Michter's Distillery, it's all about the whiskey. Thank you so much to the sponsors. I really do appreciate you supporting the show, especially in this time of a pandemic. Now, we do have a new sponsor, and I'm very excited to report that Rackhouse Whiskey Club is joining the Fred Minnick Show. So thank you so much to Rackhouse for, for coming on board. Now, as a listener, you're going to know that the, you got to know that these these guys, they can help you. Right now, you can't go out, you can't go to stores, but you can go to RackhouseWhiskeyClub.com. That's RackhouseWhiskeyClub.com, and they can get whiskey to your doorstep. Go check them out. This week's uh, trivia question is, this is for the Fleetwood Mac fans. Now, what you want to do is after I tell you, after I give the trivia question, go to um, go to fredminnick.com and be prepared to send me your answer. And if you send me the correct answer, I'm going to um, mail you uh, a Fred Minnick Show sticker. So here is the question. On November 22nd, 1971, Fleetwood Mac played at Whiskey A Go-Go. Now, obviously, I'm picking this place because whiskey's in the title. What were the first three songs that Fleetwood Mac played at Whiskey A Go-Go in 1971? That answer will be coming up after the interview. But please enjoy this really fun, down-to-earth interview with the great, the one, the only, the English gentleman, Mick Fleetwood. A fellow ascot wearer. How you doing, sir? Uh, doing fine, thank you. Uh- I thought I'd honor the day. I know you love them, and I do too, actually. I don't get much of a chance to wear them in Hawaii, where I'm sitting in my little music room. But uh, yes, hello, hello, hello. So where did your love for ascots begin? Well, it came from my father, who was uh, a Royal Air Force officer. Uh, Came out of the Army, then went into the Air Force, and it was part of the culture. You know, we lived in the country. And dad would always definitely put on a cravat to go down the pub. And I, I dutifully, as a young, young child, would wait for him to come back with some peanuts. And maybe I would be allowed a little uh, lemonade shandy, beer shandy. <laughs> and uh, he, he would always have his cravat on. And of course, my, my grandfather religiously wore cravat. Uh, that's all I can remember. That and one of the first cars I ever saw. Wow. Also, when you were young, you, you kind of developed a, a love for restaurants and you had your own little speakeasy. The, uh, what, what did you call your speakeasy? Club Keller, it was called. Oh, that's right. <laughs> you had like you, you, a section you, you for um, your research. A little bit. Yeah. Like right now is, um, is, is a very difficult time for restaurants. And of course, you, you own a restaurant. I do. I do. I do. Oh, how have how has that um, how has the isolation and, and the shutdown um, impacted like you know the world that you live in from a restaurant perspective? It, 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 it of course with anyone and everyone in whatever uh, sort of flow of life you you were in, uh, it came to an abrupt stop, and. It's all about taking care as much as you can of, of people, staff, that restaurants, as you well know, it's like having a family, an extended large family. 
we are trying our best to to keep everyone uh, positive uh, going into the future. But the the grim reality is it stopped. So it's nothing that anyone out there doesn't identify with being in that business. One of the things which, as a person, one being responsible as as uh, one of the owners of of my lovely restaurant is the fact that you're you're really keeping abreast of what and when and how you can look forward to the future um, and you you keep a tempo and not a blind eye to what's going on to try and be ahead of the curve and be ready to to open and and celebrate coming back to the beginnings of of what is a new norm uh doubtless you know you talk to some of the 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 chefs out there and you know they're just some of them are afraid that they can't come back you know and it's just it of all the industries that have gotten hit by this world it, the restaurant industry has just been devastated absolutely devastating and it's also uh what is sorely missed being recreated by in truth doing uh our conversation is is a conversation and, and as we both well know that is part and parcel of where you go to a, to a restaurant in a pub, anywhere where people come together, uh, coffee house, wh whatever it might be, is about camaraderie and sharing an experience on numerous levels. And we miss that. You know, I, I miss that as, uh, as a person. Uh, and I miss, of course, being uh, a player. It's all about having an audience and having a rapport between yourself and what you do, what you present in the case of a restaurant is, is you get back what you put in and people come back to an atmosphere with obviously the food, uh, the way it's served and, and being receptive is, is part and parcel. But the, the whole total atmosphere is what you, you gravitate towards. And suddenly those little homes outside of your satellite home are not available. So we're all uh, looking at how to reproduce and uh, it's a challenge and, and it, there is a positive part to it. This is positive, being able to, uh, I haven't done uh, much online anything and I'm learning to do that. So it's been actually a really interesting experience. Is that, is that something that you were just, you know, it feels like the whole world was kind of like everybody was going to like Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all that. You were resistant, but before to, to get into the social world, if you will. I, I missed that last question. Where, where you, so you, you had said that you're just now like getting a little bit more into the online world. Did you feel like you, this was, uh, you know, that you might've been like resistant before because, you know, really social no. media. No, I understand now the question is, I just have never been that way uh, educated into the technology of, of what it is. And obviously with my children and, and numerous, <laughs> numerous people around are glued to this whole online, whether it's dating, all sorts of, of stuff. I know nothing that would push me away from it. Uh, I just wandered into it now because it's really my only, it's now becoming my new best friend. Uh, I'm a very uh, open, hopefully an open person, uh, love meeting people, 
So I, I didn't feel the necessity. Uh, and I like the, the presence of, of, of real total reality is what it is. But I'm learning in truth, you can get very close to that um, by pressing a button as well and, and not having the experience control you, uh, which would be like in my world, when you, when you perform, when you record, yes, be available to use all sorts of influences from technology to even uh, people who inspire you, but, but don't have it consume you and then you lose yourself. And that would be my only little trepidation about not having the actual, the touch and the, the tactile part of, of what we're doing now. But I think it's a, it's a lesson well learned. So I'm, I'm enjoying uh, sitting and it reminds me, I think I'll have a sip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need, we probably should get into the, to the tasting portion. I saw you. Uh, I snuck one in. I did. You did. You did sneak one in. I won't hold you back. It's really unfair for me to ask you questions and sip. I should be. I should be waiting alongside you, but <laughs> Guide, guiding me in, <laughs> guiding the missile in. Bad host. So the first thing that we're sipping here is a Jack Daniels uh, Tennessee. Uh, whiskey. It is a taster select. So this is uh, straight out of the barrel. This is a, um, this was finished in oatmeal stout barrels. Now everybody thinks of Jack Daniels as being like this kind of like mainstream out there whiskey, but they actually have a really uh, great, you know, lineup of whiskeys outside of that basic black label. And this is, this is one of my favorites of theirs that they've released in the last couple of years. And so, so when I'm, when I'm uh, cheers, Cheers. What's the official? So the official like tasting uh, route. Oh, so, so the first thing that I like doing with American whiskey is that I like, I like analyzing the color. You kind of like get up in there and you, you, you just look at the color and see. Very much like wine. You know, I'm more conversant with wine and, but yeah. yeah. So with whiskey, it, you know, the barrel, it gets all of its color from the barrel, whereas like the the wine gets uh, the color from the from the grape skins. Uh huh. That, that uh, concentration from the from the connection with the grape skins. So I like to look at the color, and the older the the darker it is, usually the older it is, and the higher the proof. And then from there, I like to uh, to smell it. Now you've developed some perfumes and things in the past, so I'm assuming you have like a, a pretty good nose and a and, and a you're used to, to nosing things. Love smell, yeah. Love. So this is the most, this is the moneymaker for, for like a whiskey taster. Yeah. Nose. What, so this is, um, what are you picking up here? Well, n not knowing, but I was going to ask you as a relative novice, what, what is the, the wood of choice? That, that so the law, the, law that, uh, the law states it just has to be oak. But most people put uh, put it in um, American oak, and it's uh, always charred. So it's like new charred um, American oak, and um, it, and nothing else is it, anything else would be, be. Yeah, they're using Japanese oak right now. They're using French oak. I mean, they're all over the place with what they're using. But the fact is, you know, it's an economic decision usually to to focus on uh, American oak. Okay. I thought it might have been some taboo I should know about, but it, 
actually is a good comment, you know, um, in terms of uh, what it gives. Well, one of the first things uh, for me, again, I'm learning as we talk here, really, uh, I am conversant with having, you know, enjoyed uh, mainly many years ago um, when I think the art of, of drinking is something we all learn. Mm-hmm. And when you're younger, you actually don't, you're more about the cause and effect of drinking versus the actual protocol and the art. Right. Um, so that in mind, I, I always look to my, my palate, my uh, whatever it, it's called, nose, uh, sensibility. The first thing with this is that it doesn't rip my head off mm-hmm. uh, in terms of when it hits my palate. Um, it's kind, it's not attacking me. Yeah. And so I'm, you have to bear with me how, how I describe things. No, I love that. I also- As a relative novice, I'm going through my, my first uh, choice here. Take me uh, through the process of how you, how you uh, take in aromas. How do you smell when you are, when you're smelling a perfume or a flower or trying to take in the sense of a room, how do you, how do you do it? Do you close your eyes? Do you take a moment? Do you want silence? I'm curious there. No, interesting. Uh, I rely on, on most things in, in my being and my life are, not to get too highfalutin, I think are innocent uh, mm. and vulnerable and are the beginnings of, of accepting that it's my intuition. And intuition is, is something that we often turn away from and go like, I should have known. It was the first thing I ever thought. I, it was the first thing I ever thought about whatever the atmosphere, in this case, how something hits you, a room, an atmosphere, an evening, uh, taste, smell um so i i rely on on not changing my mind uh, as much as possible and being open to uh how i might um how how something might hit me down the road by being educated Mm -hmm. but also remembering which is okay to let go of things once you have more information but um i i think i rely on as a musician just being in the moment and and having a lot of trust in that. Yeah. And wait for, I'll remember parts of our conversation and when, and I hope that I will take it on board and go, well, hang on a sec, you could look at it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so intuition and immediately uh, feel, feel in, in the presence of something happening, feel, how it affects you, mm-hmm. which I suppose would be, I hope, being in tune with, with your body. Where would you rate, like, um, you know, smell in terms of your favorite senses? Huge. I would say it's number one. Wow. Yeah. What, like, what's your, what's your favorite, smell touch. favorite thing to smell? I... I don't actually know, but I do remember the first time that it really, really affected me. Uh, and I'm just literally going there. I can, 
I can feel the experience. I can remember, as I'm telling you now, which I probably haven't even thought of this in way over, you know, 20 years, at least. Wow. My granny, who was known as Little Granny, Gwen, lived in a, a gorgeous little English cottage, thatched cottage, which is neither here nor there. But on her staircase, she had this uh, bell puller that you have in churches with all the usually white and red and blue uh, sheepskin that mm -hmm. the bell ringers would pull. And she had one of those on her, ban instead of a banister, she had one of those going up the stairs. And this, of course, she had touched it every time she would go upstairs. So whenever I went to be with Granny, I would, I would apparently run straight to the staircase and smell the rope. Because it reminded me of my grandmother and I was actually in her house. So right from a child, I had this whole thing about smell, for right. sure. Uh, I, I remember my grandfather, how he smelled mm -hmm. and he probably, uh, from memory, he smoked a pipe. So probably there was some lovely uh, tobacco, ambiance, and the odd cigar. And I loved it. It was like a, opening a sea chest uh, on an old galleon where sort of misty, uh, not dark, but, but, but wholesome wafts of, of something that seemed to come from another age. Wow. And I, and I remember as a child craving that. And I would go immediately upstairs at Granny's and just love sitting in her bedroom because it smelt of her. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, like, I, I have very similar experience. Um, and, you know, my listeners will know that I'm, I always talk about cornbread coming out of the oven. And that's because my grandpa would always make cornbread in those iron skillets and I just know that smell so well, you know, so it's funny that, you know, we are so deeply connected to smell and, and our memories. And that's all, that's all whiskey is, is, is like breaking down these whiskeys is for me, it's really tapping into my memory bank of the things I've smelled. There you go. It, it, it takes, it's like a signpost to a moment, very more than, more than often. And that's the whole experience, uh, that can be taken into all sorts of other facets of life, but having having a a moment and and enjoying the moment becomes a, a road that leads you into a whole conversation and takes you back, and you can remember that's when that happened. And with this, it's power. Mm -hmm. And if you have uh, the information, you you can get back there. You know in your world, you'll be very conversant with, I know when, when I open a specific bottle, knowing what it is, you're, I'm sure, almost predetermined, you know what you're doing. And you, in a way, you're back to the, that first moment when you made, made your uh, decision uh, that you enjoyed that feeling. That and then you're off to the races after that. Yeah, it can be dangerous too, because sometimes you go on preconceived notions and the It'll be like a different release of the whiskey. I, you know, so I always try to go in with an open mind, if you will. But I'm curious, does that, does that sense of smell, does it ever, does it ever come over um, to music? Like, do you ever, 
do some stages or, or, or venues like have a particular uh, aroma that, you know, gets you excited to get on stage or, you know, something unique like that? Um, but prob- probably not. I think subliminally that there have definitely been, uh, now you're asking me, and I don't think it's a stretch. There were places that we used, mainly back in the day, that was small, therefore it, it was condensed and wasn't a giant arena or outside. And uh, We played pubs and all the little, not dressing rooms, they'd be like cupboards where you <laughs> be shoved into. Uh, but the actual ambiance and the smell of a particular club, a venue, they would have their own smell quite quite often. And not all of it was always very good, but, but you would have the one where you go, this feels good. And it's just, it literally is like, like opening a cigar, a box of cigars. You know where you are. We go like, okay, we're at the, the Nottingham, not, what was it, Nottingham Boat Club, which was a rowing club where we used to play a lot. It did have a great smell. And it's probably because underneath were all the beautiful wooden canoes mm-hmm. that were stashed uh, in the rafters where, where we used to play. It, it was probably because of that, where it was all these gorgeous, beautifully handmade uh, skulls, uh, uh, meaning long canoe racing that went on the river. So it had a smell to it. So now we go to probably the, the next one. I actually poured my last little bit of it. This is a rhetoric 25-year-old. Uh, this is one of the oldest um, American whiskeys that you know you can, you can find in the market. Wow. I'm sure you have a preordained favorite here that you're not going to tell me. So I'm hoping that. I'm going to try and not influence you at all, Mick. (laughs) No, please do. (laughs) It's only a good thing. Now, what are you going to do with your favorite whiskey? Because you got, you'll have a little bit left over. Well, I'm going, I found upstairs, uh, actually in my bedroom, uh, I don't know, you'll be familiar with one of these flasks. So I have uh, my, and they have the, the shot glass here. And I'm intending to fill uh, the favorite up with my little uh, walking flask, which is, of course, was used back in England when you went hunting and stuff. So I have two of these. Number one will be in here. Number two choice will be in here. Love and they'll be, put, they'll be put on my bedroom table uh, for inspiration. <laughs> well, hopefully, no one no one snags them from you when you're when you're not. No, I, that, no chance right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this one is, uh, you know, I, I would be curious if you could smell that rope that you talked about. From your from your grand from your grandma's because this has a lot of those kinds of 
tones. And if you can, you know, pick up any of that kind of stuff in there. For me, this is, has a lot of tobacco, like a lot of like, uh, and actually pipe tobacco. That would be opening up the captain's chest. I like this one. Do you, um, when you, when you smell, do you ever open your mouth to smell, to see if it, if it's a little different? Cause I have found that smell. Like a yoga breathing thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just open it with a little bit different with your. Um, yeah. I like this one a lot. Hmm. You know, I, um, or is it, it likes me. It, I think it might be a good fit. I, I've tasted this many times and I like it now more than I did previously. And I don't know if that's because I just poured the last of the bottle, um, or because that, you know, because when we taste your, your, your palate is very much, a, it's a muscle like anything else. Right. So you're, yeah like one day I'll be in the mood for coconut. And so like a particular bourbon will really appeal to me. And another day I'll want like a big caramel bomb and that will really appeal to me. And so here I'm finding that this is just hitting every inch of my tongue in the right way. Like it's just, I'm getting the sweet, I'm getting the bitter, I'm getting like the nutty flavors. I mean, I really, really love this. And I, I like it a lot. I love it more than I have previously. I love Fleetwood Mac. I love, I love the band. Actually, I saw uh, you all in Vegas. The uh, I think it was the last show. Okay. Um. And your what I've always admired about you, you know, from um, the the Blues Breakers to to Blue Well, is your is your passion for the blues. Where does that come from? Early days in London. The first people that I met that were musicians, and it was a it was a fit. Uh, I purely I was never a, a, a technician. Uh, I just wasn't that type of player. So I found a perfect fit. And uh, my first uh, friend that I ended up playing with literally heard me playing in the garage uh, in at my sister's house in London, which was a, a muse cottage, so you had the garage underneath, knocked on the door and said, do you, I'd never played with anyone in my life. And he really knew his stuff from Nina Simone to Mose Allison, uh, some quite, when I look back, quite jazzy type of entities. And of course, early rock and roll, and then straight into where that all came from, which was Delta Blues. So I started, learning and listening that was the first thing that ever happened to me when i went to london so just by circumstance i found that and of course that became the early especially with early fleetwood mac with peter green that was all we did which was to live out our musical fantasies really to to reproduce and to emulate all of our heroes which of course were were American blues artists that very often had been, you know, sadly at that point in time, forgotten about, to say the least, from whence they came, which was the United States of America, didn't really have any huge regard, uh, sadly. But in Europe, 
uh, like in the 20s when a lot of American jazz musicians ended up in Paris and, and stayed there for good reason, where they were respected and their music meant a damn. So all of that came from really just happenstance through uh, Peter Bardens, who was the, the chap who knocked on the door hearing me play drums in the garage. Wow. You mentioned uh, uh, Peter Green. How is he? I know you all just did like a, uh, a benefit, like in remembering him. How is he? He's, he's well. Uh, he's changed from, you know, he went through a whole emotional change, which is uh, way too long of a conversation to have. But he uh, actually wrote to his, his caretaker today. And sadly, he, he loves to play every day in, uh, in a, at his house. And now he can't. So they're doing it. Uh, trying, <laughs> trying to do it online, where a dear friend of his who went around three days a week to play, just sitting on the couch playing guitar. He leads a very retreated life, uh, and but his health is okay, and he's Peter. Peter uh, with no ego, not everything we just did in London, he, uh, he approved of, but there, I could tell that he... He didn't, doesn't really understand what it was and what it's been, his music that, and the music he created. He has no ego at all. He had, has no regard for the fact that he did it and influenced so many people, uh, which is charming. So I'm, I'm trying and did uh, that whole concert in London to acknowledge Peter, who started Fleetwood Mac. And a lot of people don't know that. They often think that me and John or myself were the founding fathers of Fleetwood Mac. Peter Green was, and we were happy to be playing with him. So he's okay. Um, he, uh, he doesn't play anymore uh, outside of his home. And life has changed, and I accept him uh, as a changed person. Yeah. You know, I think um, if everyone in their life had someone like, Mick Fleetwood, who would, you know, take that extra step to show um, show the rest of the world, you know, what they mean to the world, whether or not you know they want that or not. I think the world would be a better place. I I, I remember when that happened. I just thought that was it was selfless. It was beautiful, and I really do applaud you for you know giving Peter Green the kind of credit you have because not, well, not a lot of people would do that. Well, it, it, it was, uh, in many ways, uh, it served me as well, because it, it's part of my life, which was really set a, a tempo, uh, a standard that went on for, and still is, of course, uh, having Fleetwood Max be, the band still be alive and well, and a lot of those lessons in, in being able to do that, I came from... My, my days with Peter Green and remembering what's important that people need to express themselves and not just be told to emulate someone who came before. Mm -hmm. And that's become our very odd history that we survived with that many musical changes is, is almost unique, uh, which I'm glad about that it had the integrity, uh, which Peter, of course, uh, back in those days, we were so devoted to what we loved to do. We 
we didn't even think about how, where it was going or what it was going to, whether it was going to be successful or not. It was very, uh, very pure. Mm-hmm. And you, know, you stray from that recipe, if you like, looking back at, the, at my career. But I, I hope that mostly it's been with the same recipe that has integrity for a band known as Fleetwood Mac. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. And with everything that happened in London, literally days before everything got closed down, were we have that feast. It was a miracle that everyone convened, all the incredible artists that came out for Peter and for this event has yet to be seen. Uh, and we're doing it uh, in a different way, uh, mixing down like this. Right. Very different for me not being able to grab a <laughs> an EQ button or, or be there in real time. But it, it's, uh, it's something to look forward to. And, and I think that's one of the lovely things uh, that we all should be doing. And that to me is my signpost that it, it will come to pass that this will be a different world and we will all start picking up the pieces. And one of them for me will be presenting that lovely show in London. And we will just have to wait till it's right to do that. And patience is, is the requisite these days. Yes. Um, yeah. And that's actually a good segue for our, our next bourbon. You know, I look at I look at the the bourbon brands much like bands, and the gentleman behind this this brand here it's called uh, Crema Kentucky. Uh huh. Glass C. It uh, it was founded. Well, the the more modern version of Crema Kentucky was founded by a famous master distiller named Jim Rutledge, who uh, was the master distiller for uh, Four Roses. And he, resti- he retired and after 49 years or something like that with the company and uh, started another brand. And so this is like, it's like a second act pretty late in, in a career. And he's still making, putting out good whiskey. Now the novice in me, um, feels, uh, I'm, Believing it's it's a, a sweeter hit. This is like this is like uh, taking a spoonful of bananas foster that has a little bit extra, you know, has like a little bit of caramel sauce on the side. It is very sweet. That would be me, uh, the novice, saying it, it has a, a sweeter thing to it. Uh, Hmm. You know, this is one of those moments where, you know, whiskey, you talked about not being able to press a button with playing drums or something. And for me, whiskey is about being in a room with a person and talking and shaking hands and, and everything. I find myself really want to be sitting in the same room right now in a, and just, just in an ambiance that, you know, speaks whiskey and you know, I am I am thankful for the technology. Don't get me wrong, but I find myself my heart longing more and more for real life human interaction. 
and uh, it's tough. It's tough. Well, we we were both talking about that when we first hooked up here, and I certainly touched and have uh, an empathy with that. Uh, Again, not no complaint at all because this this is through the wonders of. But it is something to look forward to, uh, where it, it is tactile and. Uh, I mean, what, <laughs> what, one of the things I'm, I'm sad about, and I, I know it, it just from, I'm, I'm, a, I'm the first person to go up and just hug someone. Oh. Like, I, that's me. It, it was my father. It was my grandfather. It was, I, I remember John McVie uh, plays bass, of course, with Fleetwood Mac. When he first came down to visit my mother and father in Salisbury, dad was at the doorway and with his arms open and just immediately gave him a huge hug. John came seemingly from a different type of, that wasn't done much in his family. <laughs> and it sort of, sort of freaked him out a bit, but that's the way I was brought up. So I'm gonna have to learn to uh, to have another type of uh, expression, yeah, that's definitely one of the things that will will change. Is touch. All right. So next up is is a um, style of whiskey that once upon a time was a dirty word, and it's called a. Um, yeah, it's a blend of straights. This is barrel bourbon. They are, um, this, this is kind of a new age, new style of whiskey that used to be a dirty word in American whiskey. Blend is um, not well liked in American whiskey because it was, it usually means bad whiskey. But now you got people like this upstart distiller blender called barrel who spells it let me look how he spells it with two l's yeah he's trying to be clever and so he spells it with two l's and his whiskey's pretty damn good and and is it reflective of really from whence it came i mean how loyal is it to the 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 blend that was not popular and it was like a an off the radar word well, so blend wasn't a popular word because like the Canadian whiskey distillers, uh, they were real big blenders. And then after prohibition, um, you know, they didn't have a lot of stocks to put out straight whiskey, which is basically, you know, pure whiskey. And so people would add like grain neutral spirit or essentially, you know, vodka in with like, a, like with whiskey to get stuff out into the, out into the market. And, um, they had, um, you know, they, they basically, um, got their asses handed to them in the marketplace by blends. And so American distillers after that was like, don't use the word blend in our, in our facilities. So if they had, uh, if, if they had a, a job that was actually blending, they would call it mingling or marrying or, uh something like that. So they found every word in the world to use other than blend to talk about <laughs> blending. So it's kind of funny. That's what's known as tiptoeing around the tulips. 
Now I get a, this is my, this might be something that you snacked on in, um, in London. I get marzipan in this. Okay. I agree. I wouldn't have thought of it because I'm not conversant, but you're entirely correct. Learning all the time here up in the hills in Maui. <laughs> Start a, a marzipan factory. <laughs> oh. You have marzipan is one of my childhood. I, I loved marzipan. I, I would always wait for the moment my mum would cook a baker a Christmas cake. And then, of course, the marzipan would go over all the, the fruit base uh, center and put that on, and then the icing sugar on top and the frosting and whatever it's called here. But the marzipan was it. I would, I would wait for the crumbles to fall from the side of the, uh, the kitchen table and munch as I'm watching the cake being baked. Oh man, I, I kind of want to, I kind of want that cake now. That's, uh, the, uh, the dietitian probably wouldn't want me to have it, but that sounds good. Well, and, and the cake, the cake back in the day would have, uh, you know, brandy in it and all sorts of stuff uh, loaded up and that cake would, with the amount of sugar and, and whatever is in a, a good Christmas cake uh, would last a year later, you could actually eat it. It's like a fantastic wedding cake. And you go like, well, what's that in the little box? And, and it's completely not deteriorated at all because of the sugar content. It's like being uh, whatever, the, when they were going overseas, well, the Navy and, and sailing, they learned about what sugar would do. Would we preserve either dry it or, or pour, pour sugar on it? And it, it would be sitting there just resilient and, and surviving whatever was thrown at it because it would stay without going bad. So there you go. Mick Fleetwood's story of a marzipan cake. That's uh, waiting for the scraps. <laughs> You, um, are you leaning toward a favorite so far? I, I, um, I am. I know there's I know one, there's more, one to more to come. We get, we that, get that. Yeah. I, I would have to go the, the, the 25. Okay. That uh, I think you finished the bottle off. off. Yeah, I, I, have, I have just a, a, a wee bit left to sip on. So. A wee dram left. Yeah, Is I that see. a permissible word in, in this world? Absolutely. Yeah, dram is, uh, you, you would find that we use the term dram quite a bit, especially in our writing. You know, we use the, the term dram a lot in our writing. Dram. In yeah. Scotland, you know, in the Scotch styles of whiskey, dram is used a lot more in the vernacular, um, whereas in American style, you know, we write with the word dram in mind. So, yeah, used quite a bit. So, one of the one of my heroes in music, uh, Neil Finn, <clears throat> joined Fleetwood Mac, and that was so cool. How how uh, how did that come about? How did you recruit Neil? Probably, in my opinion, probably the most underrated yeah. uh, musician of yeah. All, all in all, and now I know him and and love him so much as as a person, uh, which is a complete a huge part of my life and. 
but uh, I I fell in love with a song that uh, when it was uh, with Crowded House mm -hmm. and Hey Now Hey Now Don't Dream It's Over, which is very apropos for the world we're living in right now, and it struck a, an emotive chord for me, um, and I would say every night on stage, pretty much what I'll try and relate now is, is that song pulled me through a moment that uh, I needed uh, to see and believe in something that was uh, far greater than me uh, and hopeful. Yeah. And that's my first memory. I had no idea who he was or the band, but the song. Uh, and ever since then, uh, of course, I, I learned more about his music, loved his music. And then all those years later, uh, I met him in London, disconnected. Uh, and actually, a, a beautiful event was put on at the Albert Hall. And I was just in the audience. And Neil was one of the people uh, when the, Paul had uh, lost Linda, his lovely then wife. Uh, there was a great show that was put on and, and he, he was on that show and I met him after the show. And I was wandering around in London at that point, a bit disconnected from the music world. I was exploring some uh, ill-fated business venture or something. And I said in, in all candor, I said, what are you doing? It'd be great to form a band. And at that, I think he was in between, not knowing what to do, some of his solo stuff. And it never happened. But over 20 years later, I met him in New Zealand when Fleetwood Mac was touring. And I went to an award show, and there he was backstage. And that was the beginning of the story that led to him now being part of Fleetwood Mac. And we both communed as, as people instantly. And that was nearly 20 years later. And then I said, well, if you ever want me to come play, I think he maybe thought I was half joking. And then he, he phoned me up or texted me, I can't remember what, emailed me and said, were you serious? Would you, would you like to come and, you know, I have a great studio down here and I live in, obviously live in, in New Zealand in Auckland. And uh, I said, well, absolutely. So I went down there for about six or seven weeks and played on an album and had the greatest time, rented a funny old Victorian house there. And that really consummated uh, our true, true friendship. But who's to say, when the changes happened in Fleetwood Mac, that was my uh, inclination. And he was uh, very receptive, although he took a breath or two, it was like, unreal so that's a, a real story that's an hour's worth of explanation about the magic of connecting through a song then time passing meeting crossing in the night never quite connecting always intimating that you're going to maybe do something and it it actually happened in the end so it's a fantastic story and a tribute you're right to an incredibly we were both uh, uh, me and John have seen a, a lot of changes in Fleetwood Mac uh, and the band itself with uh, Mike Campbell and Neil coming into the band, two incredibly talented uh, people in their own world, in their own right. 
and they live and breathe that. They bring all of that uh, as their own legacy into this rather strange band known as Fleetwood Mac. Hmm. Neil uh, uh, is a dear friend. I feel like, you know, it was definitely a seamless transition, at least from where I'm sitting, because I found his, I found his uh, contribution to the band just perfect. He's a perfect fit. He really was a perfect fit. Yeah. Who's, who's no, like all those years ago. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, but it, it, it was, it was implanted in my head and it wasn't about Fleetwood Mac, but it was about him. And then of course with Mike, uh, that came more from Stevie who had worked so much with him and with Tom Petty and, that there were real connections that made the transition uh, correct, believable, and, and it had to be that. And the alternative was to do nothing, which could have happened. We were very lucky uh, that these, uh, the, the chemistry was there. It just needed the switch triggering. It's fascinating stuff, really. Yeah. You brought you brought up uh, Tom Petty, and was such a such a tragedy to lose him so young and so yeah. such uh, unbelievable, unbelievable, and uh, a great loss as as it loss is loss, and it's magnified when it, it can be private, and it's still huge, but there is. The fact that, that, that the lovely thing about the losses is the music that's left or a piece of art or poetry or uh, writing. You know, I know that you, you enjoy writing and, and it's what, that's what the legacy becomes. Uh, if there's going to be loss, it is uh, at least important that people can relate and take a journey and be reminded of a journey, you know, I'll, I'll remember this and I'm, I'm triggering where, where do I tend to, uh, drink, sip on whiskey. And in truth, I, I, I do it in England. Yeah. And now I'm doing it in Hawaii and it's, it's an interesting with the, with the webcam. With a webcam that, that went in and out. And <laughs> Listen, that, you know, technology, everyone's streaming right now. Everyone's, you know, using the, these, uh, these devices. And, uh, yeah, good. I mean, it's, it's the one thing that's keeping us together, you know? I mean, thank God for technology, really. I have to, have to yeah, that would be worth uh, drinking to. So our, ne our next one is um, a 15 year old. Now we'll warn you, this is 129 proof, uh, but it's very, for me, it's very elegant at 129 proof. It's called George T. Stagg. This is uh, the 2017. Um, that year was one of my favorite whiskeys. So it is, um, it, it's a good drinker. Wow. Interesting. You got a little competition going on now. Yeah. 
but that actually is. And you, you definitely know what it is in terms of uh, the content. Yeah. What, what was the, the content in it? Uh, it was, uh, it's 129 proof. Jeez Louise. So the, the thing is, is like sometimes like when something comes in like that, it's that hot, it's that, that high in proof. Sometimes they actually don't feel like that. They don't, they, they tend to come off as spicy, like, uh, like a pepper or cinnamon versus the alcohol burn. Whereas something that would be lower in proof, like 80 proof, you know, it could be, it, it, it will feel just like it's, um, gosh, it'll feel, it'll feel like turpentines, like burning or like, uh, or like putting a nine volt battery on your, on your palate. So proof is never an indication of whether or not something is smooth and, and good. So you, you gotta always, can't always like follow the proof. I, I was actually asking the, the end result of what actually physiologically, uh, it, it has to have some reference point, correct? I mean, more of that or the same amount of, and then you go to this. Oh, yeah, yeah. This brain yeah. here. It, it, it would be more effectual uh, in. From that perspective, like, yeah. It'll get you there quicker. <laughs> but you, you have to be very respectful of this particular item. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I, sort of an obvious question, but. I, I thought maybe you were going to say, no, actually, it, it doesn't. Oh, no, it'll, uh, uh, the, the great Booker, no, he was this iconic distiller. He would tell people, like he used to put, he put out a product called, uh, that was 125 proof, 130 proof. He'd say, no. he would tell people, it would put, it'll put you on your ass. Don't drink too much of it. So, <laughs> Well, that, that gets down to the whole uh, thing we mentioned earlier on when, you know, when, when I was young, 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 I, I, I drank uh, beer. That was really all, all we drank, really, all we could afford, probably. And then uh, shots of, of spirit, shots of, of whiskey and, and so forth. But we were irreverent to what we were doing. We were after the effect, which is not what this is about. Yeah, you know, and that's what I enjoy about wine. Are there the one or two moments where you go, mm, rein yourself in? But it, it's about all of. Uh, hey, we've had a lovely afternoon talking uh, on camera, off camera, uh, about life, etc. And it's brought brought a, a unity to to certainly. Uh, we haven't met, but we have now. Yeah, that's right. Uh, this is our moment that uh, we all love about sharing uh, food and, and drink and ambiance and company. So I'm, I'm very grateful that this uh, all worked out. And I, I was reminded of, of the respect you, you have and should have for the, where, how this is, the care that's taken, you know, and, you're sitting here, not like a school teacher, but, but it, it's been really interesting knowing, I'm hopefully not talking too much because I tend to do that, but, but oh, I love this. listen to uh, someone who really enjoys the nuances of, of something like music, 
that you uh, you know when you're, you're in the presence of someone that that knows and loves what they do i can tell that you you are that person well, i appreciate that mick is there i like i like also like combining music and and, and whiskey i i I have found that when I am listening to music, um, I want different types of whiskeys. So mm -hmm. like the, what you hear can actually influence what you want to taste and what you will taste. Well, there you go. There's been a lot of studies that kind of like back that up too. But to me, every whiskey does go really, really well with a song. So what do you have a, is there a Fleetwood Mac song in this flight somewhere that, you know, remind you of a, reminds you of a tune. Well, uh, I was trying to describe. You know, it's always not weird, but, but when you start sort of uh, trying to be objective about who you are and, and what drives you, and, and I, I went immediately to feel, and I, I sort of. As a person, I think maybe has been too much uh, sometimes, but I, 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 I will not be in a place where I don't feel. Uh, I, I'm frightened of, of not having something to feel about. Mm -hmm. I said, when you're frightened, I, I would, that would be my worst nightmare, never to really feel emotionally driven about something. So I sometimes overly go into areas to make sure that I do have that, you know, and that uh, as a song and as a testament to maybe not answering the question properly, but uh, I'd be hard pushed uh, not to pick a, a song of Peter Green's because it, it's so about where I came from and what I identified with, uh, which would be a song called Love That Burns, uh, a beautiful slow blues that is indicative of a journey that Peter took uh, that affected me a great deal. And I will uh, enjoy putting that song on. And I think there were two little candidates here. I'm still with our friend here, 25 year old Bourbon. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's do this. Let me help you make the decision. I'll tell you how I do it. Okay. And so when I'm, when I am tasting analytically, when I'm, when I'm really dialed in and I'm, and I'm having to pick my favorite, um, which is often it, I, what I do is, is like, I grade the nose, I grade uh, the palate and I grade the finish. And so the nose, you know, this is like, what I love about you and, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about your nose and um, <laughs> probably the first interview you've done, which maybe not, but where the interviewer was more curious about your nose than a lot of <laughs> other things. <laughs> but um, I love that. so we get, so you, you have a nose that can pick up uh, aromas that most people can't. And so pay attention to that. Pay okay. attention to that. And look for those, look for the things on the nose and see if they're, if you taste them. And if you don't taste those, that's not, that's okay. That's fine. But then on, when it's on the palate, 
see, look at the various points on the tongue that you're feeling tingling. If you're feeling it more on the front or the back or in the middle or down the, you know, down the sides, the very best whiskeys will kind of like drip down your jawline and cover it like butter and tickle the roof of your palate. And so look for how it's feeling on the tongue and how many different points of it's touching and then what flavors you're picking up. And then as you, as you swallow, after it's kind of down the hatch, if you will, how long is it on the palate? And that is your finish. And the longer it's on your, on your palate, the, you know, the longer the finish. Now I grade a lot on that finish. I like to taste the whiskey after I've swallowed it for a, for a, a good minute. So take all of that into consideration and pick your favorite. Hmm. I love this. It's like a real lesson. Let's clip. This is this is when you think of that song, Silence is Golden. Right, right. <laughs> I live, I live, silence, I love, silence. I love silence. Silence is, is good, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually going to change my mind, which I didn't think I was going to do. Uh, I'm going to be uh, respectful of, of the choice that I, I actually end up liking this last one. Okay. That, that one has a lot of respect for. Uh, I'm enjoying that. Well, sir, you picked George T. Stagg. And uh, That's I'd, beautiful. Think, I'd say I'd send you some more, but I'm, I think I'm all out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see if I can, uh, grab another bottle for you. Uh, yeah. What a fantastic afternoon. So I shall be, uh, with what's left, loading, loading this up off, off camera. And it will, it will be nice and safe in here. Uh, the last time I filled this up was in Malmesbury in, uh, in England. Um, there's a beautiful... Uh, it's, it's beautiful around there and, and stayed in a gorgeous house, hotel, and enjoyed uh, a flask um, and walking in the hills. It's now empty from those days. So it will find a new marriage. I love it. I love so it. So I will treasure it. The whiskey lives on and we'll have uh, future moments with you. Well, my friend, I, I toast you. I appreciate all you've done for music, and um, I'm looking forward to uh, to to the next to the next steps, whatever those may be, whether it's in virtual world or uh, or you know back touring again. Yeah, and uh, everyone out there, and take care of yourselves, and uh, we will all uh, get through this. Yeah. Amen. Cheers, my friend. God yeah, bless God you. Bless you. I, I, I could have had that conversation for another hour. Uh, Mick was 
very courteous with his time, but more importantly, we just, I, I felt like we hit it off. Like it's just two, two guys having a conversation about where things are in the world and sipping some good bourbon. And how about the fact that he picked George T. Stagg? He couldn't have picked a more allocated, hard-to-find uh, bourbon. I, if he had picked any one of the other ones, I probably, other than the Rhetoric 25-year-old too, uh, I'd have been able to get him, uh, get him a bottle and send it to him. But unfortunately, that was the last of my my stag from 2017, and man, it was so good. But so, the answer to the trivia question. What were the first three songs that Fleetwood Mac played on November 22nd, 1971 at Whiskey A Go-Go? The first one was Tell Me All The Things You Do. The second, Future Games. And three, Morning Rain. So Mick would have been right there on the stage putting that set list together. And uh, I just wanted to share that with you because... Whiskey A Go-Go is probably one of the coolest venues of all time from uh, from a music perspective. Uh, all the great bands played there, and they get some uh, major, major points from me for having whiskey in the title. So thank you so much for joining us. I hope you're being safe out there. Make sure you click the subscribe button. Hey, if you wouldn't mind, go give us a review on however you listen to your podcast, because that really has an impact on on the algorithms and, and how people uh, find this show. So if you can give us a review, it'd mean the world to me. Make sure you're following me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Just search for my name, Fred Minnick. Fred, I can't even say my own name. Got a little tongue tied there. I'm Fred Minnick, and you can find me on all the socials. Until next week, folks, be safe out there. Don't lick trash cans. Don't lick handrails. And remember, Vodka sucks unless it's being used for hand sanitizer. Cheers, everybody. Be safe. You've been listening to The Fred Minnick Show brought to you by The Beeline. Visit findyoursippingpoint.com by Michter's American Whiskies and by Rackhouse Whiskey Club. Every whiskey tells a story. For more information on Fred's books, articles, and more, go to fredminnick.com.